This show is supported by the BS Podcast Network. They got tons of great content over there. Please go check them out. In addition, sometimes I say things on this show that sounds like medical advice. I can tell you right now it's not. If you want medical advice, go talk to your doctor, not me. By supporting this show, you're supporting a cause. That cause is making science accessible for everyone. Thank you for your support. All right, welcome back. Just a quick reminder, of course you're listening to Basically Science. Uh, Just a few housekeeping items here to kind of get started. If you've watched the show from the beginning, or you go back and you listen to the original content or the first content, you might notice that in the beginning it was referred to as It's Basically Science. We've had a bit of a... uh, I, I decided I like Basically Science better. I was back and forth about it for about three months that I launched the podcast as It's Basically Science. Then I changed my mind after like episode three or four. So basically science. We're now basically science. It's set. Another thing, I want to introduce something that I've been working on and I've put a lot of time and effort into it and it would mean a lot if you went and checked it out. It's called Basically Circles. And the idea is I wanted to create a community off of Facebook. I wanted to create my own community where we can come together as people who enjoy science or people who are interested in science or people who want to learn science and we could have a place where we can sit and talk and chat and ask questions in a casual manner. Like it's completely chill. Uh it's not a website where you can go and, you know, feel belittled because you don't know something or you have a question I just wanted to create a safe space where we can talk about science and enjoy the beauty of science you can find the site at basicallycircles.com all you have to do is sign up and before you can start interacting I ask that you make a profile it helps really cut down on spam and plus you get to learn who's in the community and you get to know each other and it becomes a more well-rounded community overall So now, into this week's episode. In this week's episode, we're talking about something that's pretty complicated, and it's something that, it makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable when we talk about it. And it it still makes me feel uncomfortable at times, but I I really want to get into this topic because it's something that a lot of people don't know about, and they're not well educated in, myself included. And I felt that if I could you know, take the time to learn more about this subject, I can hopefully present it to you in a way that it's less scary. We're talking about artificial intelligence. And we're going to go on to apply that to a real-world science. In college, I had to take this class called Integrated Sciences. And it was a general elective, but it was required for my major. And the class was really about how we use artificial intelligence and and these frontiers in science that aren't really talked about. Um, And artificial intelligence was one of the big ones, and this is kind of where I got this idea. From this episode, I really want you to take away that we should not be fearful of new technology. 
that the technology that we create and the technology advancements that we make have scientific advancements as well. They help advance science. I also want you to understand AI and how it relates to machine learning and deep learning and what these concepts are. And lastly, I want you to have a general understanding of AI, machine learning, deep learning, and what these concepts are and how they relate to one another. So let's start with artificial intelligence, also known as AI. I'll probably refer to it as AI for pretty much the entire episode, so that's what I'm talking about, artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is this umbrella term for a couple of different advancements in computer science. AI is the concept of machines doing tasks or learning tasks that were historically human-based. They, they required human intelligence in order to complete the task. Artificial intelligence is a machine accomplishing those tasks. Some common examples of AI that you, don't, you may not realize is artificial intelligence or AI, uh, Netflix and Siri. Those are two, the way that they operate, uh, the way Siri works and the way that Netflix works, they're artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence can be broken into two major fields. First, applied artificial intelligence. Applied artificial intelligence is designed to complete a specific task, right? It's applied. Like, this is a problem that I want to solve, and I'm going to develop this machine or this computer program to do that task or to solve this problem. The second field is general artificial intelligence, and that is artificial intelligence that's designed to complete any task. This type of artificial intelligence learns as they encounter new things. So general artificial intelligence kind of gave rise to this subfield that we call machine learning. If you think of artificial intelligence as the umbrella term, the next smaller umbrella would be machine learning. Artificial intelligence that is built with machine learning is not reliant solely on the code of its creator, right? So the way that these programs work is someone who is knowledgeable in computer science and is able to write code or program for that matter. The machine operates on that code, but it can also write its own code and learn as a human would. And this idea can seem really foreign, but it's happening right now. There's concepts such as facial recognition, voice command, and translation of languages. And this is machine learning. So when you use your face to unlock your iPhone, that's machine learning. Your phone is a machine learning who you are, what you look like, and that's how it works. That's how it can unlock your phone because it can recognize. Previously, I had mentioned that I had to take this class in college. And one of the major projects in this class was a project called LifeKnot. LifeKnot is a online software that you can sign up for and you can use. Like if you want to right now, you can go to LifeKnot.com. Uh, not a sponsor, but if you go to LifeKnot.com, you can create what I'm about to talk about. But for a class, we had to create what was called a mind file. A mind file is a copy or duplicate of your personality and your traits. The way that we obtain or create a mind file is 
LifeNot has this AI robot that you talk to via text chat or voice chat. And the more you talk to it, the more it learns your language and the way that you act and your personality and your opinions on things. And as a result, it does its best to mimic you. And as it's mimicking you, it's saving all of this data. So if I were to die and someone wanted to interact with me after I was dead, they could refer to my mind file on LifeNot. Which is like super creepy to think about. And the fact that like people are out there doing it like today. This was three years ago that we had to do this project. So it's happening. Uh, I just went on the LifeNot uh, website again for the first time in like three years. Af as I was doing my research for this episode. And they have made more advancements on, on the website. But if you're interested in that and you kind of want to see what it's about and how it works, go ahead and check it out, lifenot.com. I'll put a link down below. This kind of segues into uh, the next topic in artificial intelligence. That topic is deep learning, right? So we have the umbrella, artificial intelligence, the subfield, machine learning, and even more niche, even more of a subfield, we have deep learning. Deep learning takes learning, like the machine learning concept where a, a machine is writing its own code as it learns new tasks, it takes that to a whole new level where this machine is now trying to mimic human behavior and intelligence. The way this works is by what we call a neural network, almost like neurons and the neural network that we have, except this one is a programmable one. Last week we talked about neurons when we talk about a neuron here or a neural network, it's a programming network. And a neuron in this case is a binary question. So the more neurons or binary questions we create and layer on top of each other, the more outcomes we produce. This is an exponential process and it can create a very, very deep code thousands and thousands and thousands of layers deep. Here's a really good example of how neural networks work, okay? So we want to create a neural network that can determine if a photo is of an apple or a banana. So we program three questions into the neural network. The first, is the object in the photo round? That's a yes or no question that can be identified and can be programmed. To, to figure that out. The, the machine is able to identify round versus not round. The second question is, is the object yellow? The third question, does the object have a stem? So if we fed this machine or this neural network a photo of a banana, the answers to the questions would be no, yes, no, right? No, the object is not round. Yes, the object is yellow. No, the object does not have a stem. So we can translate these no's and the yeses to numbers, zeros and ones. So when you see references to ones and zeros in computer science, that's binary code. That's what we're talking about here. So for the banana, the binary code would be zero, one, zero. Zero equals no, one equals yes. 
And the same goes for the apple, except the questions would be opposite. Is the photo, is the object in the photo round? The answer is yes. Is it yellow? The answer is no. Does it have a stem? The answer is yes. As a result, the binary code is 101. Now, if we take this concept and go a thousand times further or a thousand steps further, we are able to create a deep learning neural network. And as futuristic as this sounds, it's happening right now. There are deep learning networks out there, and they're very useful. An example would be image recognition. Uh, if you might have noticed, you might be, uh, if you go on the web browser Google, you can click on a photo or insert a photo and it can search related photos. That's a deep learning network, right? So that's something that is understanding what image you're feeding it and then it's able to produce similar patterns or similar photos. It's also used in voice recognition and it can now predict uh, customer preferences, it can detect fraud or scams, and it can even conduct life-saving diagnoses in medicine. Essentially, anything a human can do is within the scope of a deep learning network. When you think about that, it's really uncomfortable. It's not comforting at all to know that there, it is possible to create a machine that can do everything that a human can do. But I, I'm here to tell you that we shouldn't let that discomfort and even fear stand in the way of technology. We're going to talk about an article here by Kevin Casey. It was published in 2019, and it goes over five common fears of artificial intelligence and some solutions to them and his opinions on them. First, the possibility of bias. Bias is when an opinion or an outcome is influenced by some outside opinion or outcome. For example, if I were to say, Basically Science Podcast is the best science or education podcast out there, which I can tell you it's not. However, that would be very biased of me to say because I have a personal opinion that would influence the outcome of my statement, right? So people are afraid that this bias can present itself in these deep learning networks and these machine learning networks. And that's a completely reasonable fear because it's a lot harder to unlearn something than it is to learn something, right? We all know that breaking habits as people is really hard to do. In order to break a habit in a machine, someone would have to go back through all of the code that it writes itself and find the bias and remove it, which is a, a task that seems so tedious and so difficult to complete that I don't know that it could be done. With that being said, we shouldn't be afraid Rather, we should be weary. What I mean by that is we, we need to understand that bias in machine learning would be a direct result of our own personal bias. Like the creator of the machine, that bias or the, the machine that it's learning from or the data that it's learning from, if that data is biased or if that person creating it is biased, 
then there's likely going to be bias in the machine. I, I, I have confidence in programmers, and I have confidence in science and scientists. Although it happens, it's our responsibility as scientists and technologists to understand that everything that we work on and everything that we are we stand for and are passionate about is much bigger than us. It, it's it's beyond us. And for us to let our personal bias influence that would be a discredit to the work that we do. So although you can identify bias in research, in publications, especially in the science community, it's important that to know that we try to prevent that bias, and we need to be aware of it. So in that article, Casey says, we should be embracing the fear of that bias. And it's important to remember that if we turn a blind eye to the bias, no one is watching to make sure things are getting done right. The second common fear of artificial intelligence, the fear that we're no longer going to need humans. And this is uh, one fear that I think is probably one of the most prominent fears uh, from someone who is new to understanding artificial intelligence, the first thing that you think of when you learn that there's these machines out there or these programs out there that can mimic human behavior, you can you get concerned if we're going to create something that is going to be better than us and that can take us over. And it's important to remember we need to focus on the real world problems. And to think that humans are no longer going to be needed, it's a reasonable fear, but it's important to remember what we just talked about, that if we're turning a blind eye, no one's watching to make sure things are getting done right. So that's kind of an argument for the fact that we're always going to need human oversight with these technologies. And although it may be possible that we're going to create a technology that we that will replace humans it, it, it is possible it's many 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 decades away and it shouldn't be something that we're afraid of right now instead we should be focusing on the real world problems the third fear is just simply the fear of the unknown i feel like this is also a very common one artificial intelligence is something that is so niche and so cutting edge that not many people know about it. And the fact that you don't know about it is what makes it scary. How many times have you, uh, you know, heard of a medical disease or a, a medical problem and you have no idea what it is and it freaks you out because you don't know if it can kill you? Artificial intelligence is kind of the same idea. As a general population, we don't know enough about it to be able to think critically about it and identify it in our everyday lives, despite the fact that it's already here. Casey goes on to explain that the most accurate artificial intelligence networks, the most accurate ones, are often the most difficult to explain. So when it comes up with an outcome that is so accurate and so unlikely to produce, we can explain it, and that lack of being able to explain it kind of contributes to that unknown and that fear. And he refers to this as the black box 
of artificial intelligence. And that black box refers to the fact that a lot of us don't know how a machine came to the conclusion that it came to. To expand upon that point, that's kind of the reason of this podcast. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I am producing this content. Because I want to increase the knowledge of these topics in the general population. And I want to talk about it in a way that is uh, is presented in a safe way. Like, I don't expect people to know this information. So, you know, I, I want to bring science down from this elitist pedestal that it sits on and bring it to the people and show them the raw science and hope that, you know, some individuals learn from what I'm saying and develop an understanding of science in a way that they hadn't previously. And to be honest, I'd be lying if I didn't say that, you know, I need this myself. Artificial intelligence is not what my degree is in. Uh, My degree is far from that. And although I went to a very tech-heavy school, this is still a concept that I learned a lot about researching for this episode. I'm okay with pushing myself outside of my comfort zone to learn these topics in science to the best of my ability so that I can present them to you, the listener or the viewer, in, in a way that it makes sense. All right, that's enough about me. Well, let's, let's move on to the fourth fear. The fear is the, the loss of privacy of our data and of ourselves by these uh, networks coming in and trying to learn or these, these technologies coming in and trying to learn from us and the way we talk in our conversations. I've heard stories of smart TVs or, you know, Alexa dots, you know, listening to people's conversation. And they had a conversation about, um, you know, some cool product that they were looking at. And all of a sudden, now they're seeing ads for that product. Because the artificial intelligence um, technology in their home, there's home smart devices, heard that conversation and were able to produce ads for the the product based on their conversation. This is a this is a real fear. Like this is something that I myself am uncomfortable with and I don't have any smart devices in my home with the exception of my phone, you know, my computer, stuff like that. But I don't have Alexa. I don't have um I I have a smart TV, but it's a uh it's not a AI smart TV. Let's put it that way. So, again, it's important to remember that understanding this fear and embracing this fear is what allows us to take the steps that are necessary to prevent this from happening, right? Understanding and talking about the elephant in the room is how we address it. The fifth and final fear is the fear that someone might lose their job to artificial intelligence, I know that this is a a largely talked about topic and this has been talked about since, you know, I was in high school. And so, you know, for the past five to six years of my life, people have been talking about the fact that they're afraid they're going to lose their job to some robot or to some computer. 
And to be honest, it's been agreed upon that AI will have a large impact on a large range of jobs. That impact will likely result in loss of jobs. It's true. And experts have agreed upon the fact that people might lose their jobs because of AI. However, Casey goes on to mention that in the PC era, people were very afraid that these computers, when, you know, personal computers, as they started to be produced, were going to replace jobs, and they did. But, as a result of this new technology, it created millions more jobs for other people to fill. So, they go on to mention that, historically, new technology does not automate jobs, rather, it makes more jobs possible. That was a heavy topic, and it, it, it may not seem that heavy, but it's something that is in our face in everyday life, and people aren't talking about it. So let's just wrap this up, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what next, week epi- next week's episode is going to be about. So... AI, artificial intelligence, is an umbrella term for a couple different subfields in programming. AI is the concept of machines learning to do tasks that historically required human intelligence, right? We talked about Siri, we talked about Netflix, and we talked about the fact that it can be broken into two different fields, applied versus general, applied being applying AI to a very specific task to complete one task where general kind of learns to do tasks as it encounters them. That kind of fed into machine learning, which then fed into deep learning, which is the creation of those deep neural networks, uh, neural networks in the sense of those binary questions that allow computers to mimic human intelligence and behavior. So, Originally, this was going to be one episode. This week's episode and next week's episode were going to be one. And I wrote the first half, which was the artificial intelligence portion, and I realized that this would be too much for one episode. I think it's too much to talk about. And as a result, this is being split into two episodes. So the episodes may seem shorter, but it's because I didn't want it to be one really big episode. So next week, we're going to talk about this AI again, but instead, we're going to apply it to an article that was published in late 2020, where they started to, where this group of researchers decided they were going to develop an artificial intelligence program to interpret seismographs. If you don't immediately recognize what a seismograph is, it is the data that is produced from analyzing movements in the earth also used in identifying earthquakes. So next week we're going to talk about what an earthquake is. Okay, so we're going to get into a little bit of geology science and a little bit of science of earthquakes and some of the technology around them. And we're also going to talk about how we're using AI now to interpret data from these earthquakes and what that could mean for the future of earthquake science. 
I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I know it was a lot to talk about, um, but tune in next week because you're going to see it all come together. And I'm sorry that I couldn't make it one episode, but I promise if we talked about it all in one episode, it would be too much to handle. So without further ado, let's wrap up. I hope to see you again next week. As always, remember to subscribe, turn on new notifications for new episodes. You can follow the show on Twitter at ScienceBasicPod, on Facebook at It's Basically Science Podcast, and you can follow me on Twitter at Burgess Adam. If you want to reach out and ask me questions or you have feedback, feel free to reach me at sciencebasically at gmail.com. Don't forget, go online, sign up for Circles, Creative Circles account, basicallycircles.com. Also, if you're interested in learning more about the human body and how it works, recently I found this book and I picked it up and I started reading it and so far I really like it. It's called the body a guide for occupants I think it's a really cool book and it's written in a really cool way Uh, he takes all of the the systems in the body and he breaks them down and explains them in a way that is understandable and it's specifically designed for people who don't currently understand the physiology of your body and and how everything kind of works So down in the description box below, you'll see a link to the book on Amazon. Go ahead and click that link, pick up the book, and give it a read. Uh, It is an affiliate link, so I do get a little bit of profit back from that. But that's going to be turned directly into creating more content for the show. So seriously, check it out. Bill Bryson, The Body, A Guide for Occupants. Hope to see you next week. Mm -hmm.